Hey, I'm Harry. Hey, I'm Tom. And we're the Night Society. And you're listening to Behind the Mic. and welcome to another episode of Behind the Mic, an event music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. I'm so hyped for this episode of Behind the Mic because I'm checking back in with a returning guest and soon-to-be performer at Just Checking In Live number four. Amir is a UK disco, funk and soul artist and came on the podcast for the first time way back when on JSIP number 19, before I even created the Behind the Mic series. In part two of this episode, we discussed the impact that COVID-19 had on his career, both financially and mentally, as he was obviously unable to do any live shows, and he had to build the momentum he had generated back up as we came out of lockdown. Amir had to find ways to make ends meet, so he went back to doing corporate gigs and cover sets, as well as taking up boxing coaching as well, which was one of these passions that he discussed on the first part of his episode. The COVID-19 lockdown also made him confront his own mental health and the issues he had previously been pushing down. During lockdown, he started drinking alcohol heavily because of his loss of music and decided he needed to detox to deal with it properly. We reflect on part one of his podcast and how we first met through him supporting Jocelyn Brown at the Jazz Cafe, which was his first ever professional gig as a recording artist. We finished by talking about a decision to get his ears pierced, which was a lifelong desire, but something he always puts off because of other people in his life advising him not to do it. And we also talk about the importance of not living life with any regrets alongside that. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go back behind the mic once more with my mate, Amir. Amir, my friend, welcome back to Behind the Mic. I should say welcome to Behind the Mic because you weren't on it the last time. No. You didn't even have the series last time. <laughs> so this is actually technically your first appearance on the series. Yeah. How are you, mate? How was your gig last night? I'm good, honestly. All the gigs are going well at the moment. So yeah, yesterday mm. was good. I am a little bit tired, but rolled out of bed and now we're here. <laughs> Excellent. That's why we're doing it online and not face-to-face. That, that's the only reason. That's the only reason otherwise I would have slept it over across London to come and see you, man. But I will. Oh, I, and I will do that. I appreciate we need to, that, we need to go out for a few drinks. We've been saying that for a while. Yeah, man. 100%. 100%. So for the listeners, you are going to be my headliner for the next Just Checking In Live, which is October the 15th. So before we get into the pod, <laughs> just give the listeners, give the fans who are coming or might be thinking of coming who are listening to this pod a flavour of what to expect from you I think you're gonna see and hear and feel energy energy post-lockdown happiness you're gonna see a lot of that on the stage I'm gonna emote to all the things that I sing about because that's how I perform and I think that you're gonna enjoy it anyone that turns up you're gonna enjoy it and if you do show up I can't wait to meet you Excellent, man. I've had a couple of disco solo artists on the pod before, but you are my, how shall I say it, the closest friend I've had on, on the pod so far from a disco perspective. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to do this one, man. Yeah, me Without too. Without further delay, are you ready to start the show? Yes, I am. We always start behind the mic because of the interview we first did, mate, and you provided the formula for it by talking about your music journey. So Because we've already had a lot of that chat, let's pick up where we left off. So since we last spoke, what have you been up to as an artist, mate? 
So, what was the last podcast? Have it was it 2019? I think we did it. I think so, mate. Yeah, yeah. and it would have come out early 2020, I think, just before uh, Doomsday. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> no, so a lot's happened. I think I was on quite a nice upward trajectory when I was speaking to you last. I think I just did Glastonbury that year, and the BBC introduced him. And so the whole plan for 2020, because my album since I spoke to you, my debut album All or Nothing got signed in Korea. Or maybe it had just got signed when I was speaking to I you. I think so. It come out. Yeah, definitely come yeah, out. Yeah, it was coming out over there. And I was supposed to go to Japan. And then because of lockdown, I had to cancel the trip. And so I couldn't go to Korea as well and support the record, which means that basically it didn't really do as well as it could have done if I'd have gone out there, toured it. Do you know what I mean? But I mean, I'm lucky that the uh, record label still believe because they still are pushing it and pushing it and pushing it and not worried about those kind of things, which is cool. So... When lockdown hit, I mean, I, t- I just had no inspiration to write any music. It was such a killer of everything that I'd known and taken for granted in the music world, if you like, and just in life in general. I think we all felt like that. So I don't know. It's just I just turned to cooking. <laughs> <laughs> Having built up all that momentum, like you said, mate, yeah. did the pandemic feel like almost some sort of sick joke, like a sort of why now, why me feeling? A hundred percent. Definitely. And I knew it wasn't only me, but each individual can only feel what they feel about their perspective on it. So yeah, you're right. Asking that question is a deep one. Yeah, because it's like, I remember just thinking, after every hurdle in this industry I've had to deal with. Those natural hurdles yeah, and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, now, right now, just as something's about to happen, like, do you know what I mean? I could be there right now. But it was just like, oh, now what do I do? And then also one of the hardest things was obviously because I'm obviously not with my son's mum, I couldn't see him for those first 12 weeks. Mm. And that was really hard. He was old enough to know that he can FaceTime me, but too young to be able to sit and, why can't Mm. I come see you? It's like, Mm. I want you to, but but we can't, you know what I mean? Mm. And, you know, we live in separate towns and uh, his granddad on his mum's side was vulnerable, so I had to shield and just all of that. So, yeah, no, lockdown really ruined a lot of things. However, since coming out of that, I'm the happiest I've ever been, mate. Definitely. Excellent. At the moment, for sure. Can you just tell the listeners quickly, and we'll go forward in a sec, but I just want to go back a little bit now. Yeah. Can you tell the listeners what it's like as an artist to go from 100 to zero literally when it comes to your mental health and why that was so critical to you totally okay imagine being because i think i remember telling you before when i'm gearing up for a tour i'm spending loads of time in the gym i'm getting my mind mentally ready for i'm getting mentally ready for performing night in and night out and understanding that sort of like high and low and high and low of tour life and i'm used to it because i remember using these exact words on the last podcast i'm built for the road and so i am so the only thing I can think of is imagine this you're a boxer you have a 12 week training camp and just as you're doing your weigh in your opponent didn't make weight and therefore the fight's cancelled so you've worked all that for it to just going up and up and up and up oh my god oh my god my heart is racing I'm ready for it I'm ready to go. I'm just about to walk on stage oh cancelled dead you know, all that build, out all that build, as well. mega mm. anticlimax, mm. out of your control. It's not like I was ill, so I cancelled the shows. It's like, mm. oh, life's been cancelled right now. Yeah, it was hard and it was deep. And I didn't really know mm. how to deal with it. Mm. I just didn't know what to do. You said there that you're now having come out of the lockdowns and you're in this new 
hopefully new normal that we are now living in or back to normal should I say yeah. that you're the happiest you've ever been with your mental health but just tell me what you were like and what your mental health was like when you came out of that third lockdown because you can see the wood through the trees you've gone through this period of like hybrid gigs where it's social distancing but you're doing gigs and yeah. that weird place where it wasn't really gigs in my opinion yeah but how did you go about building that momentum back up and how difficult was that too uh how did I build it back up I remember just not performing live other than a Facebook or an Instagram live thing on my phone or on my computer. If I fancied it, and you know when I fancied it? After about 12 cans of lager, <laughs> right? And it was like, oh, I fancy playing. Do you know what? Let me tell everybody's mm. at home. I'll just post something at seven o'clock on my Instagram story. Yes or no poll. Do you want to see me live in 20 minutes? Yeah. And it, it just ended up me turning up, playing free songs. Can't be bothered. Tell a few stupid jokes, swear a few times take a sip cheers guys and then off <laughs> and it just got to a point where that was too normal so then when those social distance gigs started to come in where you know you could sort of play outdoors again the first one i did was actually in high wickham it was sort of like a they do a festival called frog fest every year and it's quite a big deal and they've got two stages at different ends of the high street and so they obviously did a small version of that and i headlined that and i was just looking out to the street remembering last time I was there just this fucking sea of people and this sea of heads and now it's like two people there two people there two people there two people mm. there and it was very weird but I remember just thinking then it's better than nothing this is better than nothing and it's not all or nothing it's better than nothing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's your second album why not uh. <laughs> better than nothing so there you go I'll give you the idea yeah, mate. Like, you're the man you're the man we'll, t we'll talk uh, we'll talk terms later <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, checks coming in the mail that's it mate that's it let me make a check first and I'll sort you out but yeah once it started to build and then really just as soon as the restrictions were completely over and all these gigs started to come in so everybody's wedding that I'd agreed to play at had obviously all been moved forward so it's like right we're definitely doing this we're definitely doing this we're definitely doing this we're definitely doing this and it's like shit gigs You've got to adjust. work yeah. money yeah. everything's back <laughs> and I'm like and then it would honestly I'll be honest right I was overwhelmed by it in a positive way because lockdown hit and it was like the first time I couldn't hide behind my work to get over or something I had to face it I had to face any demons that were going on in my mind and in my heart and in my head at the time I had to deal with it there and then and come to terms with right you've ignored this for too long and most of it was obviously the situation between me and my son's mum that mm -hmm. because obviously I wasn't seeing him if I was it probably wouldn't have been so bad but then when I started to see him again, that was great. And he would come over and then things are just better when he's around. You know what I mean? That's my baby yeah, boy. So it's fine. Now that it's over and I'm working and I also feel like because of lockdown, I'm more equipped to deal with rubbish that comes in now because I was forced to deal with my demons mm. then. And so when a new demon comes in, it brings me down a little bit, but I know how to flick it away now. Exactly. You know, at the yeah. moment, I just feel better about things. You spoke there about all those gigs started coming in. So tell me about that first post, truly post lockdown gig. No restrictions, no social distancing, no masks. Tell me about that experience. Where was it? How did you feel? How did it go? I think. Oh, God, where was it? When did the restrictions lift? They, they lifted last July, didn't they? Like, end of sort July. of around like, yeah. So I'd say, I'd say April time, maybe we came out of the third lockdown proper or March. And then there was, it was sort of a gradual build yeah, up. And then from there then. was a build up to basically no yeah. restrictions as, as of the beginning of August, wasn't it? 2021. Yeah. So a first gig, I think it was in Gloucestershire. 
and I had a 10-piece band behind me. Wow. And it was what, like... What a first post-lockdown you know gig. Do you know what yeah. I mean? And it was, a, it was a decent payer as well. So I just went up there and I was like, just looked around and just saw all these people finally smiling, giggling, happy, back to what we all took for granted. You know, I've said it before. Mm. Like what we all took for granted, which was hugging. We took hugging for granted, didn't we? You know, just shaking your mate's hand, we took that for granted. Cheers in a glass, we took for granted. And, you know, as a musician, as a professional musician, I took walking up on stage and singing in a microphone to hundreds or thousands of people. I took it for granted. So I just appreciated every moment when I was up there. I just remember, mm. I just remember that first feeling of got a beer in my hand, got the microphone in the other, and just to see a people that were there to listen to live music. And it just felt good. It was like, okay, mm. I'll never take this for granted again. I'm going to enjoy every moment. Let's move on to your latest discography. So since we last spoke, you put out a series of singles in the last couple of years. So tell me about that process compared to an album process and which of those singles means the most to you from a mental health perspective. Did you write about the lockdown or COVID in any of it? Or did you just think, no, out of sight, out of mind. I'm never writing about that again. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what songs? So I think, so the album process was more about gathering content. And then when I realized I had, I had an album's worth of stuff that had seemingly, in the way I look at that album, it's quite a concept album. I've put it in the order of events as well, you know what I mean? Not necessarily times of like a chronological when I wrote them, but in terms of a situation of my life, of where I was at, I kind of made it a kind of almost like a private concept album. So, but the process of all the other songs was just like, well, I kind of took the same approach of just writing about what was going on. So there was quite a lot of songs that have come out that I wrote quite a long time ago about situations between me and my uh, son's mother when we were breaking up and things like that. So Best For Us is a good example. And Easy, Easy, in fact, out of all of those new songs, was the earliest one chronologically that I wrote. That's the earliest one. I wrote that when we broke up. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So when we broke up, I wrote, We made it look so easy. But that didn't come out until 2021. Do you know what I mean? So I just had yeah, yeah, I yeah. just had this bunch of tunes that was like, well, I can't go out and tour, can't go to another studio, can't do any of that. I've been writing so much over the years, I've got the content to just push it out. And in the meantime, I'll still write. So then things that I was writing that was relevant to that sort of, not just subject matter, but even the sort of sonics of the, of the new sound of songs that I've been doing, it would work. So I'm on Fire was the first one that came out. That came out during lockdown. That was originally supposed to be like, the first single post Japan, you know what I mean? And so we just, well, we'd scheduled the whole year anyway of what we were going to do. We just stuck to it. It's apt that you wrote a song about being on fire when the world was literally on fire. Mm. <laughs> so- mm. Exactly. I remember as the first lockdown was lifted, I'd already had a song called Need Nobody, right? We wanted to make a video out of it. What I wanted originally, I choreographed the dance and I was going to have dancers, kind of more than six people in a, in a room at that time. So we CGI'd me as backing dancers on all of them. And I'm wearing a mask as well. I thought it was, it was just perfect. And by this point, mm. I just thought that the government were taking the piss at this point. I had a strong suspicion that they knew what they were doing. Do you know what I mean? I was all mm. for it at the beginning because people were getting ill. I understand that. But I think when we went back into the second one, it was like, it's your fault because you did eat out to help out, which was the stupidest thing you could have done. I mean, don't get me wrong. I saved a lot of money, but it was dumb because it's like, right, so first of all, we all need to be careful, but now you're allowed to go and just sit and eat wherever you want. 
Do you know what I mean? Mm, when yeah. that was happening, I thought need nobody's got to come out. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Because the because the pre-chorus is when the system shows no love, we're the only ones not corrupt. And so I was like, that needs to come out. And so then we put it mm. out. But the sound is so much more aggressive now, isn't it? I think before it was quite disco, funk and pop. But the, mm. the sonics of my songs now is a little bit deeper, a little bit darker. And that's sort of a natural progression. In terms of the process, I don't think I've really changed that much. And I'm sorry, that was a really long answer to a very simple question. No, no, question. don't worry, mate. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, it was a good answer, it was a good answer. I want to talk about how we met because it feels like an absolute eon ago, but we met through me going on my own, one of my lovely solo boogies that I love to do, to see <laughs> Jocelyn Brown at the Jazz Cafe. So you were the support act yeah. and as well as being a disco legend, why was that gig so important to you as an artist for supporting her? Yeah. Who are you calling the disco legend? Me? Well, you said your sounds progressed, yeah. so I won't call you, I won't, I won't pigeonhole you now, mate. <laughs> You're a legend, man. No, I remember it being the first gig after all those years of gathering songs and writing songs. I hadn't performed, I think, anything other than acoustically. I hadn't performed my music for probably about two years before that. It was just a case of going into the studio over and over and over again, just writing, writing, recording, recording, writing, recording, writing, recording, photo shoots and every, everything but playing live. And, play, and I've told you before, playing live is, I live for it. So mm. it was one of those sort of like caterpillar, being in a cocoon for two years and now I'm a butterfly. And so that's why those first three gigs was so important because I was like, my first gig back, I've got two more in two consecutive days. Do you know what I mean? Because I was booked for the first two and then there was a third on demand. And I think you came to the first one and I met you there and we were fr we've been friends ever since. And, I and, and then I think also because I, we grew up with Jocelyn Brown. Do you know what I mean? I just remember just thinking, wait, she picked me to be the... Do you know what I mean? It was like she was given 20 artists and chose me to open wow. for her. This is the behind the scenes, guys. The, this is behind the yeah, scenes that yeah, you yeah. don't see. I didn't, yeah, I didn't yeah. know that till the day because she actually said to me, she, when, when I went to meet her, she was like, hey, baby, and all that really, really <laughs> sweet with me. And I was like, look, I just wanted to say thank you so much for having me and, and stuff like that. No, 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 you earned it, you earned it, and all this stuff. I was like, it was just like the sweetest. And then as I, as I walked off, my agent said to me, she was like, I gave her like 20 artists, and she just saw you and picked you. And I was like, sick. So it just How did that make a lot. you feel? Oh, fucking. Yeah. I mean, there's been plenty of times where I've gone and done an interview or a performance where the people who have organised it clearly haven't done any research on who they're working with, which is fine. I mean, I'm almost more used to that. I'm so used to that 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 blew my mind. She'd listened to my stuff, knew it was me, saw the image and wanted to go with that. And so it made me feel amazing. I was like, not used to that because I'm used to the... <laughs> being being a London musician treated with contempt by every sound man that's going, you know. Apart from your sound man on that gig, I've had a speak, I've had a chat with him. He's a lovely man. Oh yeah, Rory's shout out to Rory. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. He's a top man. But yeah, no. I felt Before great. we reflect on your journey, mate. Yeah. Let's talk also about the second time that I saw you, which was Piano Smithfield, and that was a headline show that you did with full band. So, what importance does that hold for you, mate? I think that was my first headline show since my YouTube live. And I remember doing that YouTube live for Mind charity. We raised a lot and everyone that joined in, that was really, really good. And I just sort of thought, well, let's try and do that. Let's do it live because we're all back now and let's do it. And I think I chose Piano Smithfield because I'd never been to that venue before, but someone had taken a picture of it. I said, that's the setting I really like. You know, I really like that. 
the stage is at the back of the venue. The bar is at the other end. It's small. It's cramped. It's compact. It's perfect. We sold enough tickets to make it look rammed in there. And it was really, really good. And it was a great atmosphere. You know, I mean, I, I started a campaign, I think, maybe in the December. And the gig was at the end of February. And I was trying to shift tickets. I think, by, I think by the day before, I think I'd sold like 30 or something. And I'd put out a cap at it because it's 100 people capacity. And in the end, we nearly sold out. Because the next day, everyone was just buying tickets, buying tickets, buying tickets. Right, I'll, I'll put <laughs> it off. the way, mate. I'll put it off enough. And it's, I was just getting... I was just getting notifications on my email. This person's bought two tickets. This person bought five tickets. This person's bought six tickets. And I'm just like, the fuck? I was about to go on stage and play to 25 people. And now I'm playing to 95 people. It's great, man. It was just mad. The bar I hate it. I it love it. I, it always happens, bro. It always happens. I, know, I hate it. I love in, it. Honestly, the anxiety of like, do you know what? There's a process. There's an anxiety of hoping people will buy tickets, seeing a few people buy tickets and thinking, oh, don't worry. They'll buy it on the day. Then that anxiety kicking in is like, am I literally only going to fucking play to 10 people? Yeah. Then there's that. Then there's the acceptance of, well, it's 10 people that want to be there. So I'll just put it on for them. And then 90 tickets get sold. Okay, cool. <laughs> now I'm scared again. Because <laughs> I took the pressure off me. I lost, I came off fight mode for just 10 seconds. You know what I mean? And those 10 seconds are, are scary. But no, it's good, man. The significance of that show was that, again, it was the first headline gig with my full band playing new songs that I knew people hadn't heard yet as well. It was a big tester and obviously playing classics that everybody, that everyone that's, that has jumped on my sound that knows we had to keep them in as well. Let's reflect then on this music journey before we move on, mate. So obviously you said you've progressed your sound. It's a lot darker. You've managed your mental health alongside music and the lockdown. So, so far as well, since we last chat, what has this part of your music journey taught you about yourself? Um... This part of the journey, I think I'm a hell of a lot stronger and tougher as a person purely for the acceptance of when you bottle it up, that's not tough. That doesn't make you tough. And I think my ability to sort of open up to my friends on a brief level, I don't ever just go on about stuff. It's just like, can I just talk to you for a minute? And I just think nowadays us men are just talking more. We might not be talking to everyone, but we know who we can mm -hmm. speak to. And I feel like I've learned who I can speak to, and I certainly put anything, I'm happy to just pour it out into my lyrics, always have been, but I didn't realise that that wasn't enough. Whereas before it was, I just thought it was, because I was just busy all the time, you can ignore all that shit, can't you? And now I don't ignore it, try and get to the bottom of things, and, and if I find myself guilty of bottling things up, it's probably an artistic reason, and I've accepted that too, so it's like, okay, I can't explain it yet, but I know that my pen to paper will. And once I put the music behind it, I feel even more relieved about it now. I think that as cathartic as my music's always been, I think it's just gradually getting more and more and more. Because the older you get, the more experience you have in different things. And my son's getting older. We're all just maturing. And I don't think anybody's really the same as they used to be before lockdown. And so I've just learned to appreciate the little things way more. And learn to speak up way more and learn to shut up way more <laughs> in all the right places I think you know what I mean still learning but do you know what I mean like sometimes maybe I used to say not necessarily getting in arguments or something but like if somebody was actually saying something that was like false and I'd make it a point to be like well actually no but they're not willing to listen so now there's an argument 
it's like for me, it's just like, is that what you think? Yeah, fair enough. Cheers, whatever. Let you be an idiot. I'll go and be an idiot over here. <laughs> you know, agree to disagree. I've just learned to calm down a bit, I think. And then I only get excited at football. Let's go back behind the mic and talk about your mental health journey, mate. And you've covered a little bit already. So how do you reflect on the last episode we did? What's changed? What's stay the same? And who's the Amir we meet now? <laughs> oh, dark guy. No. Uh, <laughs> well, okay. The last podcast we did, I think my son was two. God, has it been that long? Yeah. And he's going to be six in December. Wow. And we're, we're recording, when we're recording this, we're in, October, we're in August, right? So, yeah, he's five and a half. I've changed because of that, for sure. He's just this massive ball of energy and smiles. So he basically is probably the, I think I said it before, but it's getting more and more every day that he's just the reason I do anything, you know? He's the reason I concentrate on working and not allowing myself to get too down you know, when rejection comes, if I've written a song and they're like, oh, it's a bit too poppy or it's a bit too this, you know, I'm like, okay, on to the next one. So I think I feel like, uh, I feel like the older he gets, the stronger I'm getting. He takes after his dad as well, by the way, with the music. Where, I remember did, that video mate? he did with uh, Harry Styles. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you remember that? Yeah. 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 So I was playing guitar and he was singing. Yeah, he was singing, walk through fire for you. Yeah, no, he's lo- he loves music. He loves my songs. Honestly, Freak of Nature is his favourite song. He knows all the words. He knows all the words to If It Feels Right. Easy's his favourite. His mum has moved in with a, with a fella. And she was telling... Because we, we get on really well, so it's fine. Like She was just telling me, it was like... He woke up extra early, went downstairs, and I went downstairs and just saw you on TV because he was watching all my videos. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I don't live with you, but you're still in the house. I'm like, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I've not got control of that. No, that's got nothing to do with me. You know, I'm not making him listen to my stuff. He's listening to it because she's really good because when new stuff comes out, I obviously tell him now that he's older, but when he was younger, she used to hop onto my Facebook page to show him, you know, so she's still, even though we just don't love each other that way anymore, we're still supportive of each other, which is great. Mm -hmm. So that's Mm -hmm. also a really good thing because I tell you what, could be really, really bad if you, you know, if you don't get on with the, you know, with Mm. with your co-parent. So that in itself is a, is a godsend because over lockdown, we all had so much time to overthink. And I know for a fact that I was guilty of thinking she was guilty of stuff that she would have never even thought of, you know? We just did. Equally, I know she's guilty of it too. And so we would clash for no reason when we were talking. We would think that the other is starting something when really we're both the same and just trying to, <laughs> trying to make it work. So once that was done and we openly had that chat, things got better. And so the man you really see now, away from the music, is just a hardworking guy who appreciates the value way more of how hard I might have been working before, because I'll take a break now. I think I've got more of a capability of just stepping back and thinking, I need to take a day for me and just Mm. do nothing but then that's my problem so I'll take one day and then I will just absolutely rinse the week of just like non-stop work okay cool uh right I've committed to football there that's fine so I can play football that's my bit but that's not the straight escape that's part of my daily routine now it's like now I'll just take a day where I'm like right I'm going for a walk and I don't really care where I go as long as I come back home it'll be all right Mm. I normally end up at the pub (laughs) well speaking of the pub you said that (laughs) 
during lockdown, one unhealthy coping mechanism was going a bit too hard on the alcohol and using it as a coping strategy. So what was the reason for that outside of perhaps wanting to see your son? Was that the main reason? And, and how did you get to a place where it became just a casual drink and you, you, you could drink normally instead of being it as this, I guess you could at worst probably self-harm? Well, okay. I think for me, I remember obviously the gyms had shut as well. And so I remember just thinking, well, I'll try my best to do what I normally do in the gym. I'll sort of switch it to sort of home workouts. So I remember for the first four weeks of the first lockdown, I trained twice a day, every day. You know, I'd wake up, do a quick strength training. So it might be abs and, and push-ups. And, you know, there was a branch in my garden. I could do pull-ups on because it was quite a thick one. So I could do that. And then I'd eat my breakfast. I'd let that settle. And then I'd do a boxing circuit and then in the evening you know I'd be tired and, and it would be all right so that's like the first couple of weeks then I think the weather was so good so it's barbecues and FaceTime calls with all your mates and we'd all have some beers and then those beers turned into many more beers and then then it turns into drinking earlier so where you would have started at 6 p.m now it's five now it's four now it's 12 midday because the sun's out. I've gone for a little walk and I'm sat on a bench and I've got a four pack of beer. Go home feeling sober. Now my tolerance is up. So now you have to drink more. So now I'm drinking whiskey because I want to get that buzz again. And I just remember thinking that now, now it's been like four weeks of me just drinking all day, every day for literally no reason. I'm not partying anymore. It's not a party anymore. I'm such a party. Like I love a party. I love great company. I love cheersing drinks and letting the beer flow, going to watch the football, watching boxing events, sporting events, having beers with friends. Now it's one in the morning. I've been drinking for 12 hours and I'm just watching mindless TV, not even using a glass anymore. Do you know what I mean? So I just remember thinking, this has got to fucking stop. This has got to stop because the initial 12 weeks now are starting to come back. I was getting fat as well. My skin was looking terrible. I'm not massively vain. But if I'm in a, a line of work where my appearance means something, now I'm just starting to, I'm starting to look bloated and gaunt at the same time, which is just weird. It's almost like my skin is becoming sallow, but I'm developing a gut because all I'm doing is drinking. Then on top of that, what do you want to do? You want to eat crap. So then you get Just Eat when they reopened again. Mad. And the motivation to get back into shape was when I was able to fly to Portugal to do the Freak of Nature video. And when the gyms opened, I trained like a beast for that. And I just put the alcohol aside, shifted it. And then it was when I was in Portugal and I had a couple of beers, I realized I could just have a couple and forget about it. It was okay in the end. I just needed a break. Mm. And I needed, mm. I think the gym really does help me regulate my mind and my routine. And I'm happier when I'm physically strong. And because I didn't have that, and it was like, if the gym is at level zero, and like the working out is at level zero, and the drinking's at level zero, it almost just tipped the scales to the point where it's now on like minus 100 and the drinking's on like 90 and I needed to even it out again. And the only way to do that was to do it as an extreme and just switch it over and make, make the gym be the 100% and just cut the booze for a bit. And I did for four weeks and it was great. It was the mm. best thing I did. Don't know if I used it as a crutch, it just became a habit that just was getting dangerous. And I just Was it easy to do or difficult to actually kick it or reduce it, should I say? I feel like it was actually easy because I didn't have a bodily need for it. 
I wasn't dependent physically. I just knew that I needed to break this habit of it being 3 p.m. and sunny outside and associating that with just getting drunk. And obviously, the more you drink, the more you need to get drunk. And I, so the thing with me is that I knew I didn't bodily need it. I wasn't like gasping for drinks like in the morning or anything like that. So I knew I wasn't addicted and I was motivated to work out when the gyms reopened and I had a goal to work for. And so that psychologically made it a lot easier for me to just chill out. And so for those first four weeks, I didn't, didn't really drink anything. And I just trained and rested and ate well. And then when I went to Portugal to shoot the video, I'd just have a couple of beers in the evening. Nothing major, no passing out, couple of beers, watch TV, go to bed, wake up, film the video, couple of beers, eat something, go to bed. It was perfect. And so when I got back, it was great. I know hindsight is 2020 and very easy, but given what you've just said there, without the lockdown, despite it being so difficult for you, mm. would you have sorted yourself out and actually taken responsibility for your mental health like the way you have just described? Um, I'm not sure, you know. I think maybe something really bad might have had to have happened. But who's to say that if, if something bad happened that I wouldn't have spiralled out of control? Like, out of control. Not just drinking too much. I mean, like, just mentally completely out of control. Like, now I just don't care anymore. Like, I remember feeling slightly like that the first time because me and, me and my ex broke up twice. So we broke up when Ronnie was really young and then we tried again maybe nine months later for about a year and a bit, and we realised that we just weren't in this anymore. But that first initial breakup, I was off the scale bad. I was so torn up, because for eight and a half years, I hadn't been single for that long. Suddenly, I've got no one. So that's probably where I started, like, enjoying heavy drinking. And so it probably stems from there. So if I think, I think if it wasn't for... But then I don't know. I don't... That's a tough question to ask, uh, answer, sorry, because it's like... I don't know whether it was because of lockdown I did it or whether I'd been able to work through it. I'm not, I'm not sure, to be honest. I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. I reckon, no, no, that's fair enough, mate. I yeah. reckon maybe I, maybe I wouldn't be as, as strong yet chilled. I'd be a different type of strong, maybe. But then when I'm, when I'm on stage, that almost chills it out. So I think if nothing stopped and it just kept building and building like in a positive way, I suppose maybe I would have just thought it was gone and it might attack me later. It's got a habit of creeping up these things for sure. Totally. I want to talk about the boxing coaching you said that yeah. you started up. Yes. And you are a big boxing fan. You mentioned that you love going to loads of boxing events. So how was it a positive coping strategy for you then? And I guess also maybe a small financial boost and maybe helping your mental health at the same time. Well, boxing is a sport that that and playing football are my two favorite means of training. But boxing is something that I do every single day. Now, I don't spar anymore or anything like that. I, I've sparred a few times when I was younger. But boxing is just one of my absolute favourite sports. It's a beautiful sport. It's brutal, of course it is, and it's not a game. But I absolutely adore that sport. And I've been sort of on and off training from 16 to 23. And then when I was 23, now I've only ever just done it every day. I just love it. I just love boxing. And when restrictions had come in for lockdown and there was no such thing as any kind of, you know, music business aid and the government didn't give a fuck about anything to do with helping, you know, vocational artists and, and musicians and anybody in the vocational arts, creative arts, uh, there was no help there. So I needed something else to do. And 
I was obviously drinking a lot and getting fat, so I needed to stop that too. And so I kind of led by example and started to train again before before the gyms reopened and was trying to part the booze. A lot of my friends had the same problem and they were drinking too much in the daytime as well. So I started training them and they offered to pay. I said, okay, cool. And so they started paying me. So then when more and more people knew that I was just training, everybody around my area started wanting me to train them because none of them do boxing. Anyone that goes to the gym, they're all, they're all on the treadmill and doing weights and things like that. People don't realize how savage a boxing workout really is until you've done it. I know you know. Yeah, I did it. I did it when I was a lot younger than I am now. So if I did it now, I'd be done out after about <laughs> 30 seconds. <laughs> it's one of those sports where you have to get in shape to start getting in shape. To you do know? it. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? It's yeah. like you can't just jump into a 12 week training camp. You have to train up to a 12 week training camp yeah. and then start the 12 weeks. It's, it's a crazy, crazy sport. But um, I, think everybody it was was Mike, I think it. it was Mike Tyson who said bodybuilding in shape and like cardio in shape is a totally different beast. Com- and that's what boxing is. They're, they're yeah. completely different. It's almost like they kind of not necessarily meet in the middle because bodybuilding is a completely different thing. But the athleticism you need, plus the strength, plus the power, plus the physical, you know, your lungs and heart and your conditioning, everything has to, it's got to be there. And it's such a it's a savage sport but i absolutely love it and everybody around this area wanted to train so i managed to stay solo afloat for it you know it wasn't enough to contribute to living expenses but it was enough to not have to either borrow or dive into savings or anything like that because my income had completely stopped if you're a self-employed musician if you don't work you don't get paid there was no furlough for me there's nothing like that i was with my parents during that entire time obviously because of personal situations as well. And so at least I had a support system at home, but it could have been really bad. So I was just a bit like, but I've got no income, so I needed to find something. And boxing yet again saved me. (laughs) I want to finish before we reflect on this mental health journey, mate, by talking about one thing you decided to do after lockdown, which you had wanted to do for a very long time, which was get your ears pierced. (laughs) So... Tell me about when you first decided you wanted to actually go through with it. That's so funny. And I forgot, how do you I feel now you've that. done it? <laughs> I forgot we did do it <laughs> and that we mentioned this. So I remember I would have been about seven, I think, or seven or eight when My Name Is by Eminem came out. So I was, you know, sort of mid to late primary school age and sort of graduating from, you know, my early influences like George Michael, Michael Jackson and people like that to sort of slightly more grittier stuff as we all do but my brother is two years older than me so I'm ahead of my time because he was bang on it you know so I heard it for the first time saw the video and he's got blonde hair and he's got earrings I'm seven or eight years old going up to my parents saying can I dye my hair blonde no can I get earrings no and I'm doing this for years because Eminem's just the most prevalent thing at the, at the time so just everywhere and Eminem I, I think I probably know most of his lyrics by heart. I'm such a fan. And obviously then, you know, the older you get, I became a teenager, going to college, all of my mates, I was in a very massive like pop punk thing as well. So a lot of my mates had those like tunnel things, you know, the big plugs and stuff. Big, almost like male hoops. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) But in the ear, right? You know what I mean? Yeah, but in the ear, yeah, yeah. yeah. Which that never, that never appealed to me. I just wanted studs, you know what I mean? I didn't want anything weird. I just wanted well, I say weird, there's nothing weird, you know what I mean? I didn't want anything sort of out there. I just wanted 
just wanted simple studs to go with the rest of my drip, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, then you're a teen and then you're early 20s and I was with Ronnie's mum for such a long time and I was like, oh, I really want to get my ears pierced. But you know what the girlfriends are like. And they're like, no, I love you as you are. It's the same as if she said to me, I want to get a, a boob job. I'd be like, no, change nothing. It's the same thing, like, I want to get my ears pierced. Please change nothing. So you don't, right? There's just a couple of years I've not been with anyone. No one can really tell me what to do. I just thought, right, it's now or never. If I don't do it now, I'll never do it. I just keep talking about it. So if I don't do it now, I'll never do it. So I just made an appointment, went and did it. And don't regret it. I love it. <laughs> well, as you said, talking about regrets, is there a, perhaps a deeper message here about not living life with regrets as much as you possibly can? I think so, because I, I've always been one of those people who... I'd rather regret something I did than regret something I didn't do. I would rather be able to say I did that and it didn't work rather than oh, I should have tried that. Yeah, that's like me with girls I see in the club and I'm like, if I don't go and chat to her, even if I get rejected, I'll regret it if I don't well, that, go and that's chat it, to her. Yeah. What, I mean, the, the, the not knowing what could have been. Yeah. It, yeah. You know, oh, I hate it. I hate you it. You know what I mean? <laughs> the only thing I hate about the fact that I've got my ears pissed is that I should have fucking done it ages ago. I really, really wish I did because okay. I, I, I just I just love it. Life is what it is. And I think eventually you just get to a point where it's like, I mean, yeah, I, I might wear a bit of an out there shirt because we want to catch eyes or whatever. But you've got to own what you what you're doing, what you what you're about. And even if no, if I walk into a pub with this shirt and no one looks at me, I don't care because I feel great in this. It's the same with my earrings. No, I, I'm not wearing it saying, oh, could you see, could you see? I'm wearing them thinking, I know what I look like. And if it sparks something for someone else, then great. But it sparked something for me. I walk with more confidence. It's the thing I've wanted for ages. I've done it now. I don't regret it. My son likes it. <laughs> when I picked him up first time I, uh, I did it, he was like, Pop, I didn't know you wear earrings. And I was like, oh, well, I do now. He goes, huh. And that was it. It was over. It was over it. It was done. <laughs> and then the next day we were just playing. He was at my house. And uh, he's looking at my hands and he was like, how many, how many rings do you wear, Pop? I was like, four. <laughs> and he was like, oh, okay, maybe I will one day. And then the next time I see him, he's got a watch on, massive face watch on <laughs> and sunglasses and a hat because he wants to dress like Papa. And I'm just like, oh, this that. is what I'm about. Because uh, honestly, right, three or four years time, he's not going to want to be seen with me. So I'm just absolutely loving it. You know, he'll be embarrassed by his Making own man, but right it. now yeah. he loves it. I'm just all over it, man. Yeah. yeah. Let's reflect then on this mental health journey continued, pal. Yeah. So A, what has this so far and since we've last chatted journey taught you about yourself? And if you could go back to that Amir who was maybe drinking heavily with no gigs during lockdown or the Amir who was coming out of lockdown and a bit overwhelmed with all of the gigs that he was now having to do and having to take up <laughs> yeah. and try and build momentum with his career. What would you say to him knowing what you do now? Uh, I would go up to the drinking man and say, you want to put that down. Do you know what? Even if it's just one day off, just take a day off, bro. Take a day off, go to sleep. And when you wake up, go have a walk. Don't go past any shop. Walk through the woods. Take nothing with you, no wallet, no phone. Just take your keys with you so you can get back home. Just walk and think about stuff. Take a pen and paper and see what happens. Yeah, I'd tell him to do that. I would also say focus on learning how to produce music better because that's what you've always wanted to do. So learn it. Because I, right now I'm in my 
I'm in my studio that I that I used lockdown to build up. Do you know what I mean? That's why I was running out of money. <laughs> so, so basically, uh, it's like find your new skills, put the bottle down, and find your new skills. You've already learned to cook. Great, well done. Now learn your craft more. <laughs> you know that I would say that to him. Uh, I think reflecting on who's the man you see today. I just feel like I'm way more honest with myself. I've always been honest with other people. I'm just more honest with me, more honest with myself. And I'm willing to put myself out there way more because I'm way more comfortable with me. It ain't an image thing. I have an image. You know, I always wear this hat, always wear these shades because this, this is my look. But who do I feel like me on the inside? I think it's, it's more obvious these days. I'm not, I don't know, how do I explain it? I just... More authentic in yeah, yourself? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I always thought I was then. I just feel like, you know, I've evolved naturally into something else. The same beast is say, is still there. And I never want that to leave. You know, that fire is there. So the fire is grown. I'm still that same animal. But I'm a little softer nowadays. <laughs> in a good way. In a good yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. In a good way. Yeah. So I'm just more up for spreading love. And I can admit that. And I like that. Mm. I've always had loads of love to give. And now I'm, I, feel like, I feel like I'm happy to share some light with people who are feeling down. Whereas before, I'd be like, oh, I've got to concentrate on me more first. You know what I mean? And I still, in a business sense, almost do because I have to. I've developed a business. You know, I've, I've got to be a businessman in this world. But yeah, not at the expense of being a human. And on that brilliant note, my mate Amir, thank you so much for coming on behind the mic. And I'll see you at Just Checking In Live number four. I'll see you there, man. Well, I think that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to my mate Amir for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go behind the mic with him once more. My favourite Amir single that he's put out recently is the Optics remix of his track, Easy. So that will play us out and you can come see Amir perform it live on Saturday, October the 15th at The Birds in Leytonstone in North East London. Go to helmtickets.com slash events slash 8002 slash just hyphen checking hyphen in hyphen live hyphen for hyphen with hyphen Amir hyphen circuit hyphen Leroy hyphen select or the easier option is to find it in our link tree and across all of our social media channels as always thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in if you've liked what you've heard give it a share on social media tell your friends or work colleagues about it if you like what we're doing give us a review on apple podcasts or give us a five-star rating or you can go support us at patreon that's at www.patreon.com slash events help uk or you can make a one-off donation to our gofundme stay tuned for the next episode of behind the mic and remember guys it is always okay to vent We're here, working through the mess that we made My whiskey is all over the page Yeah, it's such a shame We ended this way